Hey everyone, welcome to Wire Talks, the Wire podcast where we discuss all things crypto. So whether you're a veteran or crypto noob, we're all learning together. This is your host, Thomas Correa. Today I'm joined by Brad Cam, founder of Unstoppable Domains. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks a bunch for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we come from a sim- similar lineage, I believe. Uh, uh, Wire was also a Boost VC company. You were the latest tribe of Boost VC or second latest? Uh, we were a tribe 12. Tribe 12. Okay. Let's get into, let's, let's start there. Let's talk about how you ended up at Boost, what kind of drew you into the crypto ecosystem, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah. So I have been some sort of a crypto enthusiast since, uh, end of 2012, when I moved to San Francisco to work on my prior startup, I moved into uh, 20 Mission, which has been uh, referred to as the house that Bitcoin built. Pretty much everybody who was there was some sort of an early Bitcoin hacker. Second Bitcoin exchange in the US was launched in the basement. Uh, Vitalik gave a talk in our courtyard before Ethereum went live. So was uh, just kind of everybody I met was a, was a crypto person. I bit the bug pretty early and kind of always knew I was going to do something crypto. But was working on a marketing tech company called Talkable until 2018, and then uh, started working on this. What's Talkable all about? Uh, Talkable is a marketing software company for e-commerce businesses. So it's a SaaS software business to uh, help e-commerce companies run referral friend programs. Nice. And uh, what's of that business now? Did you get an exit? It's still growing. It's still going. I'm on the board. There's a uh, there's a new CEO, and the company's uh, doing well. It's 60 people. It's profitable. Cool, but. Um... At night, you were perusing Reddit and learning about Bitcoin. Yeah, it was uh, it was hard to it was hard to get crypto off the mind for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've been common there. problem. Yeah, <laughs> so I can understand that. So, um, how many co-founders are on the Unstoppable Domains team? Uh, there's four of us. So there's Matt, who's our CEO and who uh, is also uh, also leads the product. Uh, there's Bogdan, who heads up engineering. And then there's also our CTO, Braden. He and Matt originally founded the founded the company together, and he's uh, doing all of the all the blockchain stuff. And how did you guys uh, meet and decide to work particularly in this design space? Yeah, so this concept of domain names on blockchains had been uh, floating around the world. I'm sure you know a lot of your listeners, you know, were even following all the way back to Namecoin. But in 2017. The Ethereum Foundation originally, and then uh, broke off to a separate foundation, launched uh, ENS, uh, which was kind of this uh, this proof that you could build a full domain registry on a blockchain. So we originally started playing around with some ideas for like registrar apps, you know, kind of like a GoDaddy for uh, for ENS back in 2018, and got a grant from the Ethereum Foundation. Were uh, mentors on some of the ENS projects, and ultimately decided that the best opportunity overall was to go and build both a registry and the registrar. And so I went and took that approach and uh, raised some money and have been kind of uh, running in that direction ever since. Talk us through sort of the history of the centralized version of this. What what are the core issues with DNS and how does the Ethereum blockchain solve that? Yeah. So I think this problem will be uh, familiar to a lot of uh, crypto folks, which is ultimately it's a custody problem. There is a centralized registry. It is run by a uh, nonprofit international organization called ICANN. And the way it works is there are licensed registrars like GoDaddy and Google Domains uh, that have the right to move domains around. So when you buy a domain, they are the custodian for you. They can move it around on your behalf. If they get a court order, it can be seized. If they decide that they don't like what you're doing with your website, they can unilaterally uh, kick you off. 
Okay. Very interesting. I always wondered when I buy something on Namecheap who actually uh, owns it, is the pricing ever different over various, you know, registrars and things like that in the centralized version? Yeah. In the centralized version, there's all the way it works is, is that there's the registry. And so like, for example, the largest one is VeriSign, uh, owner of .com, and they have a price. There's also a small fee that goes to ICANN. And then the registrar like GoDaddy can mark it up. So that's the reason why sometimes you might see the same domain selling for different prices uh, in different places in the traditional world. And you know, when people think about kind of the way it works in the centralized world in general, sometimes we have an American lens. And in, in the United States, there actually aren't that many websites that are getting taken down. There aren't that many domains that are getting seized. But if you think about it globally, uh, it's a big problem. You know, There are all kinds of places around the world where what we would consider to be legitimate speech is causing domains to be seized and websites to be taken down. In terms of top-level domains like .com and .io and .xyz, how do those particularly gain traction? I've always wondered, you know, when a new top-level domain comes out, how does it go from like zero to becoming more popular amongst people that want to start new companies or new websites? You know, it's a good question. And I think that in general, they're relatively undifferentiated at this stage. And so what's really happening is there are good marketing efforts to make certain domain name systems look legitimate generally. And I think that .co did this quite well a few years back in the Valley. Uh, and I think that .io also did it pretty well. Uh, in the case of .xyz, they went for a uh, low price. So lower price, they undercut prices relative to everybody else. Uh, one of the risks there is that there can be some spam issues because email is associated with a domain name in the traditional world. So um, that's kind of can be kind of the downside of that. Uh, but that's kind of what they went. You, you said they're relatively undifferentiated. I didn't even know some could have features that others do not. What are kind of the points of differentiation if they do exist? Mm, it's better to say almost completely undifferentiated, yeah. except for the brand name and the price. And I think at this stage of the traditional DNS system, you wouldn't really be able to point to anything else, although you may have been able to point to some differences previously. So tell us more about unstoppable domains. How are you guys solving this problem? Yeah. So we build domains on blockchains. So we are a registry business, uh, similar to VeriSign, owner of .com, except for uh, our domain name systems are smart contracts on public blockchains. And the idea is that a blockchain domain can do two main things that regular domains can't. The first is to be your crypto payment gateway to replace all of your crypto addresses with this one domain. And the way this works is that you can sign a message with your private key and say, my BTC address equals this, my Ethereum address equals that, my Litecoin address equals something else. Uh, and then when I go into a wallet into the send field to pay you, uh, I don't need to know your addresses anymore. I can just type in your domain. So it's basically like my own decentralized Venmo account that I completely control. Uh, and that domain is also uh, an asset on the blockchain. It's like a ERC-721 standard, similar to like a CryptoKitty or something like that. Uh, so you can also move it around and transfer it freely. Uh, no one can stop you. And because it's the self-custody asset, it also means that you can use it to build a website that only you can put up and only you can take down. So again, we were talking earlier about traditional DNS where a domain can be seized uh, the other piece of it is that your content can also be taken down. So if it's on Amazon Web Services or something like that, that's another potential censorship point for your website. And so uh, the future of this, we think, is going to be building uh, websites on IPFS and other decentralized storage networks. So the combination of content on IPFS plus a domain that you control means you have a website that only you can put up and only you can take down. 
You've got tools for global free speech. This is really different from the way the traditional system works. What's the current stage of the project that you guys are at? Yeah. So we started selling our first domain name system called .zil uh, back in March. We've had uh, 110,000 registrations for that so far. It's live on the blockchain. You can use it. You can uh, attach your crypto addresses to your domain. You can pay in, uh, in several wallets uh, using the domains. And we just announced our second domain extension on the Ethereum blockchain called .crypto. And that will be going live first week of November. Very cool. That's super exciting. Yeah. Uh, what's the traction been like so far in terms of like early signups or anything like that? So .crypto, you're not able to purchase yet. On October 22nd, you will be able to start purchasing. Right now, there's just a like uh, buy one, get one free. Okay, I see. And what was the decision making going into building on Zilliqa initially? Like, how did you come uh, come up with that particular blockchain over others? Uh, we were looking for a blockchain that had high transaction throughput uh, that was live. I see. And is transaction throughput uh, pretty important for building something like unsolvable domains? It can be for certain use cases. It can be helpful. So it's going to depend on what your needs are. But in general, we think the most useful thing for users is going to be to not be dependent on any one blockchain and instead be able to have choices. So in this way, we have a domain name system on an extremely low fee blockchain, which will have benefits. Uh, and we'll also have a domain name system on the Ethereum blockchain, which will have higher fees, uh, but better integrations. Yeah, I can definitely understand the potential of all this. I think, like you're mentioning, pairing an unstoppable domain with something where you host the website on IPFS and you can, you know, if you're a Chinese citizen or something, someone that wants to have some sort of freedom of speech about something, then uh, they can use that as a venue to express that. So I can see the power behind this. What is the current flow from a technical standpoint for creating an unstoppable website like the one I was talking about? So you would buy a domain. So that's, you know, super simple. You can go to our website, which is a registrar, unstoppledomains.com. You can pay with either a credit card or with crypto. And then once you own the domain, you can uh, write your IPFS hash to the domain. So this is signing a message with your private key saying my IPFS hash equals this. And then you would uh, upload your content to, uh, to IPFS or another decentralized storage network. And then you're essentially there. So the tools to make all of this easy, I would say, are still evolving, but they're evolving pretty quickly. So even a year ago, this uh, ecosystem in this space looked pretty early. Now we're seeing all kinds of good tools popping up. And uh, we expect to start seeing some some websites using these these domains quite soon. Very interesting. And is there more of a retail-oriented product if you just want to just focus on payments, somewhat like ENS? So the nice thing about the domains is that they work for uh, both simultaneously. So you can kind of choose. And it's actually a little bit more about context. So if I'm in a wallet and I want to use the domain, I type it in to pay you. There's really no like cost from a UI perspective. It's just that it works this way. It can do this sort of routing. So you type it in and it works. Same is true for websites. You can type the same domain into a browser uh, that supports blockchain domains or assuming you have a wallet extension download that supports blockchain domains, you would just type it in like you would a normal website and it would just work. So ah, all that decision making is the smart contract level. At the reading of the blockchain on the part of the application. This information is just sitting there on the blockchain. My PFS hash equals this. So the application just needs to read the blockchain when I type in the domain and then find the content. 
And which browsers at this moment in time have support for blockchain-based domains? So there's a bunch that are getting interested in it and have been moving in this direction. Uh, and we expect that of the sort of alternative browsers that we should see several quite soon. We'll also have another, you know, have some announcements around this quite soon. In the sort of interim, you'll be able to use extensions. Uh, and extensions are kind of like, you know, the way that you would still be able to use Chrome, for example, because we, we wouldn't expect that Chrome is going to support this immediately. Yet we expect that most users or many users are already using Chrome. And so that would be a natural thing. Yeah. Uh, is there a particular extension that works best for unstoppable domains? So we have one that will be going live quite soon, uh, Equal Wallet, uh, which is a browser extension. And then we have several other browser extensions that are in various phases of integration. In terms of partnerships, right? Browser extensions seems to be like a business line you have to partner with. You also have to partner with IPFS providers. I'm not sure how many providers there are right now or people that make that a little bit easier. Have you ever thought about going up the stack or down the stack, integrating that into your core product? Uh, yeah, so those providers are definitely part of the ecosystem. So we would be working with uh, IPFS providers, working with wallets, uh, working with wallet extensions. We actually have a, a grant program for wallets. So any wallets out there that want to get integrated and support domain resolution, our library supports our two domain extensions, .zill and .crypto, and it also supports uh, .eth. So it's you know one integration for for this. And as uh, new domain name systems come about that are legitimate and are supported, we would add those to our library too. We're just trying to make it easy on applications to integrate this stuff. Understood. So from a product strategy standpoint, you just want to stick with the, the domains, right? You don't want to think about going into the IPFS business or into browser ex extensions. So if we were to build those tools, those would be like demo tools. We don't want to be a browser extension company. We don't want to be a browser company. We don't want to be a wallet. Those are ecosystem partners that we intend to work with. We think that all wallets and all browsers should support these tools. So that's the goal. And that's also what's going to ultimately make the blockchain domain category work is that these tools will be able to work across applications. And the beauty of it is, is that it can work across any wallet. It doesn't have to be, you know, one of the, the sort of previous iterations of these uh, things that we've seen, you know, it's been, there's an, you know, ETH system for the Ethereum community. There's a, this system for this community. There's a different system for the Bitcoin cash community. And we've sort of seen it go on and on like this for a while. And that's not really what's needed. We just need a standard that can work across applications. I think that's what users want too. So mm -hmm. that was the idea behind our crypto. Makes sense. And in terms of pointing to different blockchains, what does that flow look like if you want to uh, store your Bitcoin address associated with an unstoppable domain? So it's really just data that you're writing to the blockchain. So whether you're writing a Bitcoin address or a Litecoin address or Ethereum address or Dash address or whatever, it's no different. You just write that information to the blockchain. Then when a wallet is reading information, they will look at what send field you're in and then say, and then go and read the blockchain and find the appropriate address for you. So it's extremely flexible. You could have hundreds, thousands of addresses all associated with one domain. There's no reason why you couldn't attach every single cryptocurrency address you have across every single currency if you wanted to. Makes sense. So you're effectively just locating your address on the Ethereum blockchain, uh, but the actual transaction, if it's a Bitcoin address, happens on the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it, it's really, I mean, it's almost identical to what DNS did with IP addresses. We're just, it's just a map 
of a yep. human readable name on top of an IP address so that instead of when I ask you what your address is, instead of you saying, oh, yeah, my website is at 23.597.325, I can say it's this. So you probably get compared to ENS quite often. Uh, you're sort of siblings, if you will. How does your project differ from ENS? What are the core similarities and differences? Yeah. So I think the biggest difference, you know, if you were to kind of back out, would be that we are a registry business. We're building registries, but we're also a registrar business. Uh, we have our own GoDaddy-like app website where you can interact with domains, where you can buy domains, where you can manage them, uh, where you'll be able to use website-like tools, all of that sort of stuff. But on the registry side, there's probably a couple of things. Uh, like, for example, you can buy domains with us using any of several cryptocurrencies. You don't just have to use uh, Ethereum in order to buy. You can also use a credit card. Other things are we have emulated to some extent the way that a traditional domain name system would launch where we're running a sunrise period for trademark holders and other brand owners where they'll essentially get right of first refusal to their domain. And the reason why this is important is because if those people don't get their domains, then they're not going to onboard to this new system. And if you wind up with people who aren't those brands owning those domains and then none of the brands do, you're going to wind up with a namespace full of scams and phishing attacks and all this other sort of stuff. And what happened with ENS is they distributed and they distributed these domains, you know, Facebook and various others to people that weren't the, uh, weren't the brand owners. So I think that there's going to be some challenges around adoption. And we think that if we can get the traditional online business world to start using this system, there is a much faster path towards adoption because this tech is actually better. Like this tech is actually better than centralized tech. It will be cheaper. It has payments built in. It's permissionless. So governments and large companies around the world don't get to tell you what to do before you launch your business. This stuff actually works better. So we think that ultimately they will switch uh, if we can onboard them. Very interesting. So I recall that ENS used some sort of auctioning system for claiming your ETH, um, ETH address. What kind of system do you use for purchasing uh, domains? Is it is it very simple or is there more, uh, more of a complex auctioning system? So most domains are just uh, buy now. Um, there's no, no auction, although for the top domains, there will eventually be an auction and it would be, you know, kind of like a, a eBay style auction where you just, you know, bid plus X percent. I think there's a lot of challenges whenever you do anything with auction mechanics that are more complicated than that. So as simple as possible. Yeah. And you were talking about this just earlier, how you want the namespace to have a high quality and for brand owners to be associated with the right addresses. How do you think through that? How do you sort of police that a little bit on your front end? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's challenging, of course, but there's, you know, specific identification from you know people who actually have trademarks or who have, you know, have large online presence around these names, especially when they're, when we're talking about things that are not generic. Uh, things that are generic, you know, would be in the category that you would expect to be auctioned. What's adoption been like so far? So we've had 110,000 domains that have been registered so far. Uh, we've had, I think, more than 70,000 of them have been claimed, which means that the domain owner has taken the domain into their possession. They have it. Uh, it's uh, been distributed on the blockchain. And is there a particular customer profile uh, that you seem to have more traction with? 
Uh, I think right now it is crypto enthusiasts is kind of the first wave, which is what we would expect uh, for this. You know, it's the people that are tinkering. But I think very quickly we're going to start seeing payment use cases around donations. Donation campaigns have been, uh, you know, some things that have been floating around in the ecosystem pretty early on. And then we also would expect that a lot of the crypto media people who uh, already have a public presence and are already getting money through crypto tipping and various other things are going to want to have a way for people to feel more comfortable when they send them money. And when they send them money to multiple uh, cryptocurrency addresses, because they usually accept three, four or five different currencies. Very cool. So how do you go about winning those people over? What's the marketing strategy, if you will? Reach out to them. Yeah. Pitch them. Pitch them. Okay, yeah. cool. Let's talk about ethics for a bit. You know, doing my research uh, leading up to this episode, I found it interesting that there's a lot of sort of ethical and societal concerns over picking top-level domain names. So how do you go about making the decisioning here uh, for, you know, picking .crypto versus .bitcoin or something like that? You are sort of pushing an audience towards uh, a particular top-level domain, right, by, by making that decision. How do you think through that? So I think the decision is around coming up with something that is unifying and inclusive, because I think that is the primary goal for getting a system to be adopted is to make it appealing to as many people as possible and definitely making it something that feels relevant to the entire crypto community. So that was the idea behind Dark Crypto. Do you get any sort of pushback with picking dot crypto over, you know, something more specific like dot Bitcoin or dot dot Ethereum or things like that? I don't think so, but I think that, you know, I mean, it, it was a very intentional thing, which is that this sort of label doesn't need to be around a specific currency. The whole idea is that it should be for paying in any cryptocurrency and that it should be for any cryptocurrency wallet. So it seems much more logical to me that it would be, uh, the name would be something uh, that's inviting to the entire crypto community. So that okay. was the idea. How do you think about domain squatting? That's obviously a big problem in the centralized version of this. Do you take any measures to prevent that? Is there even a secondary market for domains? Yeah. So that's where the sunrise period comes into play, where you would essentially give right of first refusal to uh, to brand owners. And that's what sort of you know prevents a lot of the potential squatting. So your target audience, the people that really, really need this are those people that may be censored right now by their government or you know, some sort of agency that's policing them. How do you market to those people? How do you make sure you know, they're being served properly and they're hearing about this service? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the best way to do it is to show, not tell. Cool thing about these tools is that, you know, at, at least if you think about what is the core product that is needed to facilitate uh, free speech and free speech movements around the world, it's really as simple as launch a blog, launch a news station, launch a relatively simple website with payments, with the ability to accept payments. That right there gets a huge amount of the of the potential use case tackled. So it's actually a relatively simple thing they need. And I think the best way to do it is to start getting websites out there that are producing content that people would maybe otherwise be uncomfortable sharing on other types of platforms and show it. Show that this is what uh, censorship-resistant news websites look like. I think there's plenty of places around the world where people need this stuff, and that's obvious. 
And so long as we actually show it, I think people will notice. I think the beauty of you know free speech as a as a as a concept uh, is that it's very compelling you know to societies around the world. And the beauty of you know free speech websites as a you know product is that they will necessarily be interesting. Mm-hmm. The type of stuff that would otherwise be on the front page of the New York Times. So I think there's going to be some uh, opportunity just in that it's interesting to get the word out. Are there any interesting use cases so far? Uh, you don't have to name names, but or domains, I should say, but any stories you can share with us of really exciting people that are using your service? So uh, on the website side, it's still a bit early. So right now, what we're seeing is people using the domains primarily for payments, playing around with you know sending money in wallets. Uh, things like that. So most of the stuff that we would expect to be seeing over on the website side will be, you know, in the near future. But the types of groups that we think will be interested are the types of groups that are in various you know, political conflicts around the world: Catalonia, Hong Kong, things like that. Very cool. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask how you think about bad actors, right? So the reason why DNS, of course, is relatively centralized is so that they can, you know, take down child pornography websites and drug dealing websites and things like that. How do you think about the, you know, the ethics of your platform? You know, there's obviously a lot of good that can come from it. And does that sort of outweigh the bad? Yeah, I think that the kind of the first thing to keep in mind is that the only way to have a secure system is to have a system that no company, no individual, no group can ultimately control because there is no group that can be trusted to do that effectively. So uh, the only way to build a secure system is to have that at the protocol layer, at the base layer. Uh, but what you can do and what winds up happening is, is that on the, at the commercial web, people are going to be doing filtering. You know, because an application doesn't want to show you, you know, horrible or illegal content and you as the user don't want to see it. So the application will get into trouble or not want to show it to you and you as the user won't want to see it. Therefore, blacklisting of, uh, of addresses uh, will be quite easy. And so you'll have uh, filtering. The difference is, is that you won't necessarily have one view of filtering. So right now what you have and what you have with the traditional DNS system is you have one one view of what's okay. And that one view of what's okay oftentimes is cooperative with governments that are not free around the world. And what you'll have it what you'll have in this dynamic is is you'll have users choosing, I want to abide by this filter, or I want to abide by this other filter because this is the one uh, that matches my beliefs. Uh, and that's a very different paradigm that I think will ultimately be be better for all of us. Let's talk a little bit about the future of the product beyond sending crypto as payments and you know of course domains. Do you intend to have users like have the ability to call different uh, smart contracts and things like that do fancier stuff with their handle? Yeah, I mean I think over time this will evolve into, you know, a lot more pieces that you will need you know, to function in the decentralized web. So I think that, you know, domains are this very core fundamental piece because they're, you know, they have this concept of, you know, a digital location. They have this concept of being a payment gateway. So there's just a lot of, a lot of things you can do with that over time for sure. Yeah, very good. And Brad, I think you had a special announcement uh, for the rest of our users uh, that are listening to this podcast. Can you please share it with us? 
Yeah. So, uh, in order to make this tech really easy to uh, to try out, we want to give away a free .crypto domain to every single registered Wire user. So, you'll be able to check it out, see what it's like for payments, and uh, hopefully build a, build a website using it. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, we'll be sure to promote that. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Brad. Where's the best place to learn more about Unstoppable Domains? Go to unstoppabledomains.com, our website, or you can check us out on Twitter and Telegram, Twitter, Unstoppable Web, Telegram, Unstoppable Domains. There's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week discussion in there. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about Unstoppable Domains, check out the show notes included in your podcast and remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or The Wire blog, whatever works for you. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again for listening.